Uh, our inspiration for this series came from 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, which reads this, In your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give you the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. And so as we set out to answer your questions, thank you first for, for, for submitting your questions. And we encourage you, if you still have questions, to keep submitting them. And we'll do our best to get in touch with you to answer them. But as we set out to answer your questions, it is our goal to set apart Christ as Lord. That is to say that we are going to submit to Jesus' lordship. We're going to submit to his word and his authority when it comes to answering your questions. We established this last week that Jesus' unique credentials prove him to be completely trustworthy. He alone fulfilled the Old Testament prophecies concerning the Messiah, the place where he would be born, the lineage he'd be born into, the kind of birth that he would have, the people whom he would live and minister with, and, and who and how he would suffer uh, for the people that he had come to save. Yeah, he also has a unique he was unique in the variety and the impact of miracles and signs and wonders that he performed, uh, including dramatic healings and even raising people from the dead. Jesus did these miracles so often in many different settings that, and, and in the presence of even hostile witnesses that no one could deny the things that he had done. He knew the hearts and minds and thoughts of people like no one else did. He alone lived a sinless life, which even his enemies couldn't find any fault in him, so they resorted to bringing false accusations against him. He showed supreme love for every people who, for all the people who opposed him by willingly laying down his life and dying a cruel death on the cross. And again, surely to what is at the top of what establishes Jesus' credibility was his rising from the dead, which he predicted three days after his death. That single event proves to me that Jesus, uh, what Jesus says about any subject is going to be true. And so we will submit to his lordship, his authority, and his word when we're answering your questions. And then by grace, uh, by the grace of God, we will do this with gentleness and respect. Now these two uh, uh, questions that we're going to answer today, uh, uh, I, know who, I know the person who answered the first one, but the second one I don't know. And there could be many motives behind what is, what is, who is asking this question. So we really want to be gentle and respectful. And if this doesn't satisfy, I, I believe that this, the scriptures that we're going to tackle today and expound on today will satisfy your soul. It will answer these deeper questions. And so I pray that you will be blessed by what you're going to learn today. Also, many people in your life that is in your circle of influence also ask these questions about God as well. And so I pray that you would share this on your media outlets, on your social media outlets. If you're watching live on Facebook right now, you can, you can have a watch party and invite your friends over. Uh, these questions are, are often asked by people. And so the two questions that we're asking today is this, is why did God harden Pharaoh's heart and did God make me this way? Again, we know that one of our college students asked about the Pharaoh thing. Uh, why, did, why did God harden Pharaoh's heart? But we don't know who asked the question, did God make me this way? And boy, that can take us to places uh, where uh, <laughs> it really demands some explanation when we come to this answer. And the text today that we're going to cover really handles it well. Anybody who is a parent would have, uh, would have to make some decision, hard decisions on behalf of their children at times. 
This is part of what it means to be a parent, even when those decisions go against the child's wishes. If you're a parent, you've probably heard your your son or daughter say, this isn't fair. Why are you doing this to me? Why are you allowing us to go there? And, And the same outlook that we have as children toward our parents can often manifest itself towards God. That when we read stories like God hardened Pharaoh's heart, we cry out, this is not fair. How can this possibly be fair? Why would you do that, God? And, and the sa- this is the same question that Paul is addressing here in Romans chapter 9, starting in verse 14. He says, what then shall we say? Is God unjust? And then he answers the question, not at all. He reminds us that God is not at all unjust. At first, it appears that Paul is not really answering the question at all. He just simply says, it's impossible for God to be unjust. We have to start there, family. When we ask these questions like this, when we see and don't understand what what is behind God's motives for doing things and allowing things and choosing things to happen, we have to know that God, the God we serve, is not unjust ever. The great reformer Martin Luther commented on this verse when he wrote this. He says, He says, why then should man complain that God acts unjustly when this is impossible? Or could it be possible that God is not God? He's saying, you you must have a misunderstanding about God, the God that you're trying to understand. Maybe he's just not God. But how? How can we complain that God acts unjustly when it is absolutely impossible? You know, God doesn't have to answer to anyone. Uh, he, he is not responsible to anyone, but he reveals to us because he loves us in his scripture that he is totally, totally sovereign, absolutely sovereign. And then Paul comes in and vindicates the, uh, 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 the assault on God's character with, with examples of Moses and Pharaoh. Look at verse 15. It says, he, for he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. Paul here is, is quoting uh, uh, Exodus thirty three nineteen, where Moses was up on Mount Sinai after uh, making intercession for God's people after they had, had abandoned their faith, melted all their gold, formed a cow, and started worshiping a, a golden calf. And so when God says, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy on, and compassion on whom I will have compassion on, what he's saying is that that, that his mercy and his compassion cannot be subject to any cause outside of his grace. You see, God's mercy on the Israelites, not destroying them for their idolatry, was not because they deserved it, because they were better better than some other people, but simply because God chose to be merciful. Had not God chose to be merciful to the Israelites, they would have got what they deserved. Punishment and judgment for worshiping an idol. In verses 17 and 18, uh, the thought moves from Moses to Pharaoh. Like the leader of God's people to the opposer of God's people. And so let's read the scripture where it says, For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then, he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. If you're following along in your sermon notes, write this one down. 
Number one, God is perfect in knowledge, wisdom, power, presence, faithfulness, goodness, justice, mercy, grace, love, and holiness. Therefore, he is perfect in his choices. He is absolutely perfect in his choices. You see, Pharaoh never deserved any of this. He never deserved mercy or compassion. He deserved judgment and wrath. But God did not strike him down. Rather, he allowed him to continue to live and reign so that God can demonstrate his power in the repeated defeats of Pharaoh. God sent down and challenged Pharaoh's many gods by sending down ten plagues. And now Pharaoh becomes this intentional illustration of God's supremacy. He becomes the example of, what, of that God is supreme over all things, that he is sovereign over all things. And he chose to give mercy to Moses but not to Pharaoh. And in that, he, he is perfectly just in the choices that he makes. Paul mentions that God hardened Pharaoh's heart, but he doesn't take the time to indicate the other side of the coin that Pharaoh's heart, was. he also hardened his own heart. We read this in the account in Exodus. We get both accounts. God kind of gives him up. See, the truth is that God gave Pharaoh the opportunity to repent, but Pharaoh resisted God, therefore hardened his own heart to, over to the divine rule of God. And so God just cooperates with rebellion, and his glory is shown through even rebellion. It's been said that the same sunlight that melts the ice also hardens the clay. That what God was trying to do has an effect on people. And for Moses, Moses, God decided to be graceful to Moses, the leader of God's people. And he hardened the heart and cooperated with Pharaoh, who was hardening his own heart towards God's advances toward him. And God, in that, God proves that he is not unjust and that he wasn't unrighteous to Pharaoh. He gave him repeated opportunities to believe. And the point is this, is that God is sovereign and he acts accordingly to his own will and his purposes. And he is perfectly just, for he is God. And so we have to trust that this was God's plan. Paul anticipates another question in verse 19. And you might be thinking the same thing too. He says, you will say to me then... Why does, he find, why does he still find fault? For who can resist the will? So essentially what he's saying is why, why say that Pharaoh was manipulated to do God's work and then still hold him accountable to it? Like, wasn't, like isn't Pharaoh just God's little puppet now? And how can that be? How can Pharaoh be held accountable for his action when he's being used this way by God? And Paul answers this question <clears throat> In verses, excuse me, in verse 20 and 21 by drawing to the ancient analogy of the potter and the clay, which he gets out of Jeremiah 18 and Isaiah 45. Look at verse 20. He says, but who are you, O man, to answer back to God? <laughs> That's another pretty, pretty stern answer, right? Who are we to really answer back to God and question God's motives? He goes on and says, will, will what is molded say to the molder, why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? 
So he's saying that, you know, we're created by God, and he's saying, do you, do you talk back to the creator? Does the clay ta- ever talk back to the potter? And the, and the answer is, of course not. And so we can say Paul's being really harsh here, or he's being really straight to the point. He's trying to get down to the, to the brass tacks of it all. Moreover, the clay of mankind is sinful through and through, and we have to know that. Write that down in your notes. That the clay is sinful through and through. There's no neutrality in man. Both Moses and Pharaoh were sinful men. So the question is not why are some made for dishonorable use or why would God harden Pharaoh's heart? The, the, the real question is, is that God, uh, uh, why, would, why would some be selected for honor? Why would God be merciful? Why would God show compassion to some? It's all his choice. And God's absolutely sovereign in who he chooses to save. And that might be hard to grasp for us. It was for me for a very long time. It might be unsettling to be confronted with God's absolute sovereignty over salvation. But ultimately, and you need to hear this. This is super important. That ultimately, this is our truest sense of security. Write this down in your sermon notes number two. If there was nothing in us but only God's good pleasure that brought us into grace, then there's nothing in us that can take us out of grace. This is absolutely paramount to, paramount to be true and, and under, for you to understand this and, and because it is our truest sense of security. That God's sovereign choosing of us in our salvation is, 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 the, is great because it's dependent upon him. He says, I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy, not so that, the, what does it say in, in Romans? <clears throat> he says, I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. So that, so that for, uh, and I will have compassion on, so it, so it does not depend on human exertion or effort, but on God who shows mercy. This is all on him. I'm totally lost in my notes now, so bear with me. Number two is where I'm at. So I love that he, he, God is absolutely sovereign in our salvation, and this is our truest sense of security. And I love the analogy of the potter and the clay, and it helps us answer the question, did God make me this way? Did God make me this way? Again, I don't know who asked this question or why you asked it, but there's many reasons uh, that we would ask this question. I know the world is, is answering this question by telling you uh, many things, that you're, like you're an accident, you're a mistake, you're a result of some random evolutionary process, and, and this all started with some ooze. Like there's no real rhyme or reason or purpose, but, and that's what the world is trying to communicate to us. But the Bible says something completely different. And I want to make this point that you cannot... Hear this loud and clear. You cannot figure out who you are until you first discover who Jesus Christ is. You cannot figure out who you are until you first discover who Jesus Christ is. Because listen to what the Bible says. Jesus is the, is the image of the invisible God. By him, all things were created, including you and I. All things were created through him and for him, the Bible says. And so you can't find out who you are until you figure out who he is. Jesus is the exact representation of God. 
He is the picture of God in human flesh. He is the God of the earth. He is God with us and among us. The Bible says that we too are created in the image and likeness of God in Genesis 1, 26. Not a result of some random chance or some process or some evolutionary process. The Bible says that, I am, that, that, that whether I am tall or beautiful or short and not so handsome, whether my body is fully functional or, or severely disformed, I still am, we still are, you still are the crowning glory of the creation of God. And as a result, we all have inherent dignity, worth, and value. The problem is, is despite the fact that we are the crowning glory of the, of the creation of God, created to live and to bring glory to our Lord Jesus, we are instead hostile, much like Pharaoh, and disobedient toward the one whom and for whom we were called to serve. The Bible says we, all we like sheep have gone astray, and we have turned every one to his own way. We know we preach this a lot here at this church that this, this disobedience toward God is called sin. And we all have it. And the Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so in short, your problem and my problem is sin. The world's problem is sin. We know that the, God didn't make me this way. It's the sin in me that I'm the reason why I am this way. What's wrong with us and what's wrong with the world can only be made right by the substitutionary atoning death of Jesus Christ. He is the answer to our sin problem. The Bible says he, Jesus, was, has now reconciled in his body by, the flesh, by his death in order to present you and me, say us, holy and blameless and beyond reproach before him. There's no other means by which a person can be made right with God apart from Christ. Scripture tells us that there is salvation in no one else. There is no one, uh, no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Speaking of Jesus, the good news of the gospel, for our sake God made him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the gospel. This is the good news. This is the hope for people who feel hopeless. People who are wondering, why am I like this? Those who walk aimlessly through this life will never be satisfied with the answers that culture gives. And how could you be satisfied? That you're here just by some random choice? That you're, or, or even worse, that you're a mistake, you're a misfit. You're an accident. It's just not true. Write this down in your sermon notes that Christ is the one that will only satisfy us. So God loves you just the way you are, but he loves you too much to leave you the way you are. You see, the good news for the Christian, like Moses, God has chosen you to be, to, to give you mercy and to give you compassion and to be an honorable vessel, vessel used for honorable use. Many places in Jeremiah, Jeremiah 18 in particular, the Lord taught through parables or an illustration, much like Jesus did in the New Testament. The pottery was this example that they used because it was very big in Jeremiah's time. 
Using a stone wheel that, that was operated by a foot pedal, the potter would place a piece of clay on the wheel, and then by pumping the pedal, the wheel would begin to spin. And then the potter would, would, would take the, put, use his hands and begin to work it and shape it, and he'd stop the, the spinning, and he'd look at it, and he'd, he, he'd start the spinning back up again, and he'd work it and shape it some more until... Uh, uh, that's, that piece of clay slowly start beginning to take shape and looking more and more like the potter had envisioned. Jeremiah 18 gives us this picture of the potter's house. It's beautiful. Go read it this week. Where you see the potter giving like full attention to the work of, of, of this helpless, formless, messy piece of clay. He's intent on transforming that worthless piece of marred clay into a piece of art. Number four in your sermon notes, write this down. That God, the potter, even with such power and majesty, loves you and I so much that, that in our marred condition still sees a masterpiece. You are a masterpiece. God sees that. You might not see that right now, but God sees that in you. God in his grace tenderly and lovely works to accomplish his purpose in our lives, and he'll never give up on us, ever, the Bible says, for by grace you've been saved through faith, and it is not of your own doing. It is a gift from God, not a result of works, so that we may boast. For we are, listen to this, workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So the purpose for God in this is to shape us, to work us, to become more like Christ, because he's created us for something good. You see, the analogy of the potter and the clay is not only this principle of God's sovereignty, but it's also uh, his desire to show us that we all have a purpose in this life. And you're not going to find that purpose until you put yourself on the potter's will and let him begin to form you and shape you. Isaiah 64, 8 says, Yet, O Lord, you are our father. We are the clay, you are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. The question is, family, is do you trust the potter's work? Do you trust his hands in your life? Write this down in your sermon notes number five. God's sovereignty is not meant to simply put us in our place. It's meant, it is meant to build our trust in him. It's hard and it's scary at times to trust in God and for him to take the reins, but you won't be sorry when you, if you do. Because whatever he's going to do in your life, he's going he's to make you more like his son, Jesus. And we have to trust him. The prophet Jeremiah wrote in, in, in chapter 17 this. He says, cursed is, the man who tr cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in, a, in an uninhabited salt land, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream. He does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease bearing fruit. Do you see the contrast he paints here? Like we see this one who trusts in his own strength. He trusts in man, and, and, and he's described as this man who, who is who's planted by, by a brush in wasteland. 
wasted because he has not put his trust in the Lord, in the potter. But blessed growth and peace was and is promised to the one who puts their confidence, confidence their hope, and their trust in the, in the God who, who is the living water of life. It takes a patient artist to, to, <laughs> to make a pot that is beautiful and useful. It takes the kind of potter that, that Jeremiah talks about. One who refuses to give up on his work. When there's a flaw in the clay, the potter doesn't just throw it away. He works something else into it, something new into it. We come into this world like many clay pots. <laughs> Our lives are just pitted with blemishes and impurities and cracks and, and broken and hurting. And, and we're neither useful or beautiful. We don't feel that way. And it might lead you to the question like, did God make me like this? Do I have to live like this forever? <laughs> you know, as clay goes, uh, we're not always to work with either, uh, easy to work with either. We're hard, we're broken, we're rough. Sometimes, uh, sometimes it, it, the potter would actually crush the pots, turn them back into dust, put more living water in them, and reshape them over and over until they get that desired shape and this might be us that we're now and God's just saying it's a, it's a time of just taking what I've got this broken marred vessel crushing it back down to dust and then putting some more living water in it this is the work of the Holy Spirit for the sinner who trusts in Christ it just is I mean the, the analogy of the potter and the clay is not always awesome but he'll never give up on you and he's always looking to reshape. Are you happy with the way that your life is shaping up? I mean, we all have disappointments in love. There is diseases in our bodies. We have disappointments in our work. We have, we have, we have desperations in our families. For one reason or the other, we're, we're often unhappy the way life is shaping up. And to be honest, if, if you were the one sitting behind the potter's wheel, your life would look a whole lot different. The only problem is, is that we're not the potter, that we are the clay. Write this down, number six in your notes. Is that the proper thing for the clay to do is trust the potter and to yield to his skillful hands. Are you willing to trust the potter? Do you believe that he knows best, that he designs best, that he shapes best, that he fashions best? Do you trust that? Are you following Jesus closely? Are you learning and going deeper into uh, an understanding of who he is and who you are and what he's called you to do? Jesus says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. That was his teaching. And learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly at heart and you will find rest for your souls. Would you characterize, whoever asked this question, would you characterize yourself as one who rests? that you have soul rest. Maybe put your, put your trust in Jesus. Put your trust, put yourself, put yourself in the hands of a God who loves you, who's merciful and compassionate toward you, who believes that, that you can be a vessel for honorable use, something that is beautiful and valued. 
Again, if you have given your heart to God, you can trust him to transform you into something useful and beautiful. It may seem that that's hard to believe. It's because he's not even close to being done with any of us right now. That this work will, will, will be, listen to what the Bible says, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a, a work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. You know what that day is? It's when you go to heaven or he returns to earth. And so this is a lifelong journey of shaping, of sitting on the potter's wheel and just letting God shape you to become more like his son Jesus. And he will do that if you allow him to do that. But how often do we, do we jump off the wheel? I think it's because we have this misunderstanding of God, that God is here to kind of be our butler and to take care of us and to give us everything our hearts desire. But if we did that, if he did that, this would be about us and not about him. This would be about us and not about Jesus. This would be us and our, about our mission and not about his. He is the creator. He is not unjust. He wants you to trust him. He is going to take the time to work on the parts of your life that are still lumpy and off-centered, a little rough around the edges. Some parts may need to be smashed down just to rise up again. But that's the work, the transforming work that God is, is doing now. More than ever before. Our vision here for 2020 was to go deeper, deeper in our relationship with God, deeper in our walk, deeper in our, our prayer life, deeper in our dependence upon the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> You put your, hand, your, your life in the hands of, of God, and he'll take you deeper. But you have to trust him. You have to really trust him that he knows what's best for your life. Put your hands, put your lives in the hands of, of your Savior, Jesus Christ, and you won't be sorry. Let's pray.